Then a demon-plagued man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Yeshua, and he healed him, so that he spoke and saw. All the crowds were astonished and saying, This can't be Ben David, can it? But hearing this, the Pharisees said, This fellow drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Knowing their thoughts, Yeshua said to them, Every kingdom divided against his, itself is destroyed, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Ruach Elohim, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Thank you, Tracy. Last Shabbat, Rabbi David continued our series on prophecy. And uh, if you've been here the last three Shabbatot, you know that, uh, and by the way, um, it is permissible to say Shabbats, but there's something that just uh, doesn't feel right, so, uh, because it's incorrect. So just so you know, if you say Shabbats, no one will have a fit, not a complete fit anyways. Uh, so last Shabbat, uh, Rabbi David spoke about um, a block of teaching um, that's been called the Olivet Discourse because it was given on Mount of Olives. Uh, this was the last major block of teaching that Yeshua gave while he was here, uh, speaking about what things will, be, will look like at the end of times, at the end of time, rather. Um, and uh, if you were here, you'll remember that uh, Rabbi David emphasized the fact that what Yeshua tells us is not designed to promote um, speculation and uh, trying to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. Uh, remember that the Word of God gives us basic signs to give us a base to give us a clue uh, of what things need to look like so that we can be prepared, but not so that we sit there or else climb on top of, of the roof like some folks have done, uh, waiting, for, uh, waiting for the Lord to come and, uh, and beam them up. Uh, there have actually been folks who did that. Um, and so part of, for me personally, the picture about prophecy has been that uh, as a young adult, and there was such a time, um, I uh, was steeped in discussions about prophecy um, ad infinitum. And you know how it is when someone piles all kinds of stuff into your brain. At some point you say, enough. And that's what I did. And at some point I realized, you know, 
there really is a balance. Um, and the truth is, for all of us, we tend sometimes to swing from one extreme to the other. And it's the mercy of God that he brings us to a point of balance, a point of center. And I realize that prophecy is absolutely essential for us who are wanting to follow God's ways. Because it reminds us that regardless of how things look at any particular time, that God is somehow in control, somehow. Um, whether or not we engage in all kinds of discussion about what exactly that's going to look like and so on and so forth, um, we realize that God is managing things and working his strategic plans. Um, and I, for one, am convinced that we're, we're not going to be experiencing uh, another 2,000 years before, um, before Messiah lands here on the earth um, for a variety of reasons, but one of which is the fact that according to what I read in Scripture, the nation of Israel had to be back in the land had to be prospering and had to be control of Jerusalem, which is what has happened. Um, when you read Revelations uh, chapters 13 through 20, you see that there is a global picture. Uh, you have a um, what has to take place at the very end, according to scripture, is you have a central government that manages and controls the entire, entire planet. Um, and no, I'm not promoting um, conspiracy, but reality is we're moving towards globalism, uh, towards a, a so-called global village, um, and the notion of big brother watching. By the way, this, this is not about scripture, but did you know that uh, somewhere about 2.2 billion people um, are actively involved in Facebook. That's a huge chunk of, of, human, of the human population. And you may also know, just to depress you some more, that there are parts of, of China where the government um, has electronic monitoring that, that watches uh, the population 24-7. Um, and, and I'm convinced that we're not very far from that. Uh, so no, I, I don't wake up in the morning and, and look at my gizmo and, and go mishugi, but uh, mishugier. Um, the other indicator that scripture tells us is that um, the moral climate uh, becomes more and more defiled, the more and more polluted. Um, it doesn't take a prognosticator to look around and see the fact that things are kind of not moving in the right direction morally in, in our society. So all of that um, can 
lead us to go one or two ways. We can either get depressed and um, retreat in, in, into our um, ghettos, messianic or otherwise, and uh, get all kinds of weapons and food and so on and so forth and be convinced that they're after us. And as a Jew, uh, I am paranoid because they have been after us. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's one option. The other option is to do what Yeshua does. And that is what we see over and over and over again is a basic commitment on his part to do the Father's will. Yes, he was moved with compassion when he looked and saw the broken, broken humanity that were hurting and sick. And uh, as, we'll, as we've seen from the passage that Tracy read, upset, uh, uh, tormented by demonic uh, beings, by demonic spirits. But what determined Yeshua's life was simply the fact that he was committed to do the commission that has been given him. And, and we who say we want to be like Yeshua, we are his Talmidim, his, his uh, followers, his pupils, disciples, want to do likewise. And, and perhaps you don't think about it, um, but what we see in this chapter, chapter 12, was that Yeshua is operating, doing what, doing what he's doing, knowing full well that the Pharisees are out to kill him. At this point in Yeshua's ministry, the Pharisees made a determination, this guy has to go. Um, so whatever Yeshua does, he knows full well that they're out to get him. And... Um, I can only imagine what, what that would look like. Actually, I would rather not imagine. Um, but what you see Yeshua doing is not expressing one bit of paranoia. You see him continue to do what he's always done, and that is um, carry out the Father's commission. In this case, it's been healing oodles and oodles of people again and again. And by the way, part of the healing process for Yeshua was casting out demons. Now in this particular case, they bring to him a man who was uh, demon-possessed or tormented, who could not speak and who could not see. And Yeshua casts out the demon and people's reaction is, wow, could this possib possibly be the Mashiach, the Messiah, the son of David. Now, I'm not sure that they were ready to follow him at this point, but they're certainly intrigued. We don't have a whole lot of detail how Yeshua cast out the demon. Um, and I think sometimes when we see things in Scripture about Yeshua or the apostles casting out demons, what we have in mind is something like Ghostbusters. You know, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, well, haven't missed much. <laughs> um, but in this movie, the, the Ghostbusters have this supposed uh, equipment and they come and 
and they attacked the demons and the demons slimed them and so on and so forth. It's kind of, uh, some of it is uh, uh, hilarious, I suppose. Um, but what you see in the gospel accounts, you don't see any interaction, much of an interaction between Yeshua and the demons, who, by the way, spoke through the person who was possessed. Um, Yeshua drives out these demons, as we see earlier in Matthew 8. He drives them out with a single word, as in get. Um, why? Because he operates from a place of authority. He doesn't have to prove anything. Uh, he has the Father's authority. And so because of that, when he speaks a word, it's not just merely his word, but it is the word of the Father, the word of our Heavenly Father. So why were people so astonished? Well, first of all, I don't know if you noticed, but they were all astonished. And if you know anything about Jewish consensus, uh, you know that that is a miracle. Um, you know, you've heard the saw about uh, two Jews and three opinions. Here in this particular case, they all were astonished. They were all um, grabbed the same way. Why? Because what, what they were seeing was something unusual. Now, again, this gets kind of spooky, okay? So please bear, bear with me or hang in there with me. Um, exorcism, casting out demons, was something that took place in the first century. Um, and it's still practiced, I think, by, by the Catholic Church. And in Judaism, what they would do is they would talk to the demon in the person and ask for the demon's name and then have some kind of a formula saying, since you so-and-so, this spirit, uh, I command you to come out. And, and we see an example of that uh, in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus where uh, there were seven guys, the sons of Sceva, who talked to the demons, said, in the name of Yeshua, that same Yeshua that Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And, and the demon and the person said, you, you say what? And they, uh, the guy, uh, the, the demon in the guy was so powerful that he jumped and beat the tar out of all seven of them. Um, so the, the point is the, um, the multitude, the crowd are seeing something that was unusual. Um, and even the rabbis, even the Pharisees at this, this point should have known better because according to rabbinic tradition, when Messiah would come, he would perform some miracles that only the Messiah could perform, Messiah-class miracles. Uh, one of them was to heal a leper, and the other one is to cast the demon out of someone who could not speak because you could not have the interaction with him. So Yeshua does that, the rank and file get it, the Pharisees um, are not willing to get it. Um, why? Because they refused to see the truth. 
This is not ignorance, folks. Um, it is a choice when you see the truth and you're confronted with it to turn away and say, I don't want to accept that. I don't want to believe. Um, we'll talk about that in just a bit here. Why was Yeshua able to do that? Again, he had authority and also because he was totally sold out. In other words, there was nothing that the evil one could grab Yeshua with. In, in John 14, Yeshua said, the evil one is coming, but he has no hold on me. In other words, there's not a piece of me that he can grab and do anything with. And you realize that we are not quite like Yeshua, at least not now, that all of us have parts of us that are broken and are unclean that enable the evil one to come in and do all kinds of work with us. And scripture specifically refers to uh, an example of anger that is unresolved, that leads to bitterness, as basically flinging the door open and saying, uh, the evil one and your, your messengers, would you come in and do whatever it is you want with me? That's why the word of God demands that we forgive. A, because God says, if you don't forgive, I will not forgive you. But secondly, if we harbor uh, bitterness towards someone, that gives the evil one an opportunity to do all kinds of stuff with us. Um, and having said that, what I want to hasten to point out is the same Yeshua who was alive on the face of the earth 2,000 years ago is alive today, folks. And scripture tells us that Yeshua came to, as, as we heard earlier uh, in the Torah service, that Yeshua came to proclaim liberty to the captive. In other words, for each one of us where there is a particular area where we have opened doors for the evil one to come in and do stuff. It is not fatalistic because at any given time we can always say, Lord, here's a situation. Would you please come in and take charge because I want to do things your way. As long as we're willing to do what Yeshua did and, and that is to absolutely say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. It's not comfortable, but your way your way or the highway, literally. And, uh, and so that's what we see happening. Yeshua had the authority, absolute authority to do that. And by the way, in, for some reason in the first century, we see record of a lot of demonic possession, demonic torment, uh, even including total insanity. Um, which we obviously have today, folks. Um, but again, coming back to the same message, and that is that Yeshua is able to set us free. Unfortunately, a lot of times, 
we have very low expectation of what God can do. And we tend to be somewhat fatalistic. So, uh, Yeshua casts out the demon, and this guy all of a sudden is able to see, he's able to talk. Um, and as we see in, in all kinds of other places, what typically happened is when people were delivered and set free, they open their mouths, they're ecstatic, and, and they praise God and say, wow, this is something could only come from God. There was the reaction of the rank and file. The Pharisees, on the other hand, say this is by the prince of demons, the Beelzebub. Uh, very strange. Um, and, and there's some debate on exactly what that means, but uh, it's quite likely that the rabbis took the name of one of the names of Baal, who was the uh, Papa God for the pagans um, and the name was Baal Zebul the prince of uh, the, the chief princes of the deities and the rabbis changed it to uh, Baal Zebub which means the, uh, the head of the trash uh, or else Baal Zvuv which was, was one of the um, Philistine deities, and Balzvuv means the Lord of the Flies. In other words, in neither case, this was exactly um, a great deal of compliment on the part of the rabbis <laughs> towards the pagans, but, but here, um, in particular, it is a, a basic slap in the face to Yeshua. They had just seen what took place. The rank and file, who are not supposed to have such great wisdom, could see what was going on, and they had, they were inclined to say, this must be the Mashiach. The Pharisees, who knew, or should have known better, choose to dismiss Yeshua out of hand. And this is an example of people who know the truth and reject it. Um, Paul talks about this in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Um, Twofold issue here. First of all, they choose to reject. And then secondly, uh, they prevent others from accepting the truth. And you know, what we see in Scripture, particularly in places like Ezekiel, where God says, woe to those who are the false shepherds. I, I have special judgment for you. Uh, and, and that's part of what Yeshua is saying here to these guys. Um, he's accusing them of a sin that cannot be forgiven. Very strong words on Yeshua's part towards these guys. A, again, because they refused to see what was very, very clear. And secondly, they try to keep other people from, from doing likewise. 
And then Yeshua go, goes on to address the situation uh, with these Pharisees. And by the way, just to be clear, um, this does not mean that every single Pharisee was opposed to Yeshua. We, we need to remember that there were some Pharisees who had a soft heart for God. In fact, one place Yeshua says that, um, that these guys bring riches with them when they come into the kingdom of God. Riches of knowledge, uh, good knowledge. So we're talking about one particular group of Pharisees that represented, represented the establishment um, and then Yeshua basically knocks down their logic. He says, what you're saying makes absolutely no sense. If I am in collusion with Satan and I cast out demons, what that means is I'm working against him and yet I'm in collusion with him. Makes absolute, absolutely no sense. Um, and then he reminds them of the fact that there were others who are also doing uh, exorcism. And the punchline that I wanted to dwell on the rest of the time is in verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that God's kingdom was not around? Absolutely not. So a couple of things about what the kingdom of God means um, in, this, in this context. First of all, God is always in control. Let me make that very emphatic. God is always in control. Even when it looks like things are going to hell in a handbasket, God is always in control. Difficult sometimes to get our arms around. Um, but God is ultimately working out his strategic plan for mankind, even through dark times. Secondly, the kingdom of God is growing here upon this earth. It's expanding. Um, and specifically, Yeshua said that a person who... Um, embraces his message, enters the kingdom of God. This is in John chapter 3. So every time somebody embraces the Lord's message, like our two darling kids did earlier, the kingdom of God grows. And this is a major part of our challenge, is to remember that the kingdom of God grows here on the face of the earth. God is always in control up here. The kingdom is growing. And at some point, what we see in Revelation chapter 11 is that there would be absolutely no distinction between God ruling in heaven, God ruling on the earth, because we're told that the kingdom of the kingdoms of this this world has become the kingdom of our God. In other words, absolutely no distinction. Uh, God's will will be done one hundred percent of the time here in this earth as it is in heaven. 
That's what Yeshua told us to pray for, by the way. Um, so when he says that the kingdom of God has landed, and uh, I'm, I'm a World War II buff, so please bear with me, but it brings me to mind uh, D-Day, that when the Allies had landed on the beaches of Normandy, uh, it was the, the game was over for Hitler. Um, it was just a matter of time. And so, yeah, the, the Allies landed, and a big chunk of Europe was still under Hitler's control, but it was just a matter of time that the Allies would move and take possession more fully and, and defeat Nazism once and for all. And I believe that's what Yeshua has in mind here, that in his life and in his ministry, the kingdom of God landed in a major way. Um, and that it will continue to expand as it through oh, as it did through his life and ministry um, it is continuing because remember what Yeshua said the work that I'm doing you will be doing even in a greater capacity not that uh, although this has happened not that we have been uh, very few of us have been empowered to perform the kinds of miracles Yeshua did but his point is because there's a huge number of disciples we're spread all over the earth we're doing the work of the kingdom and so God's will, God's strategic plan is being carried out today, regardless of what we see visibly with our eyes, regardless of what we see as far as facts on the ground. And folks, sometimes we look around and we can get discouraged. You know, when you walk to a theater, to see a movie and, and the usher tells you, or, or there's a message saying, keep your eyes out for anybody who's, who, is, who doesn't seem to belong here. And you say, I'm just coming to watch a movie. You want me to watch out for a potential terrorist while I'm here to see a movie? What's up with that? Um, a tiny little example that makes, might make us feel like Okay, um, Scotty, beam me up here. Um, I, I was reminded of that. Uh, I'll finish with this. I was reminded of that when I went to get my favorite drug, I mean, uh, caffeine, <laughs> um, at uh, Starbucks. And uh, I see big signs, baristas uh, needed. And, you know, I, I, I have somewhat of a uh, feisty side, and uh, I like to engage in, in the people who serve me. Sometimes I ask what their names mean, and, and that gives me an opportunity to talk to them about spiritual things. In this case, there was nothing real obvious, and so I, I asked him uh, whether the, the term barista applied to everybody else not just to the 
women who were serving there. And he looked at me, you know, a guy with gray hair and a cowboy hat, as if I landed from a different uh, planet. And he goes on to explain to me about the fact that here we're all the same. Uh, there is no, uh, uh, the notion of gender, um, bin binary gender is not here. I thought to myself, okay, now this is something for math, you know. <laughs> base, base two. Um, and then he went on to talk about the fact that, you, you, you know, uh, we're all the same. And I'm thinking, I'm, I scratch my head, walk out. <laughs> and uh, think to myself, okay, if I were to come back the next day, will the gender... Uh, situation look a little different since it's not binary. All right. Um, but I, I just, I thought to myself, you know, it's funny and it's not funny. Um, and I, I, I understand where he's coming from. Uh, been around the block enough to know that. And Despite the fact that I'm feeling like, okay, what planet am I on? The answer for me is very clear. Uh, you and I and every single person who is a committed follower of the Lord comes from a different kingdom. And that is the kingdom of God. And so, uh, scripture says in, in Hebrews, our uh, passports, our citizenship is from a different kingdom. Um, yes, we live here, and yes, we're part of the system, but we come from a different kingdom. The kingdom that Yeshua was talking about, the kingdom of God, has landed. And so the challenge for us as we live life and as we hear all kinds of things, uh, the challenge for us is to be gracious, to convey, as was mentioned uh, by Tracy earlier, to convey the love of God to a broken humanity. Because to one degree or another, we have areas of brokenness. But yet, by the same token, to remember that we've been called to do the work that Yeshua is doing. To engage in the expansion of the kingdom of God here on this earth. And this is not something we're expected to do by our strength and our wisdom. This is what I want to close with. What is awesome for us, folks, is to come to terms with the fact that we're operating not by our strength and our wisdom, but by the power of God. And God wants to reach broken humanity like he's done with us. He wants his kingdom to expand. And it will do so. And at some point, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God.
No doubt about it, folks. But the challenge for us is to simply say, God, what is it that you have for me to do? How do you want me to function in this somewhat mashugi world? And, and what is the commission, what is the assignment you have for me as you had for Yeshua? And then wait in expectation, confident expectation, that the power that is needed will be given so that what God wants will get done. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name and acknowledge you as Melech HaMlachim, King of Kings. We acknowledge, Lord God, that your kingdom continues to expand, that your kingdom has come upon us. We pray, Lord God, for each one of us to see reality as you see reality, Lord. And yes, we have to deal with visible reality, but we pray for eyes to see what it is that you're doing invisibly in this world. And we pray, Lord God, that you'll give each one of us the needed faith to trust you, to see things through the eyes of faith, and to engage in this work of the expansion of your kingdom. We pray, Lord God, for holy chutzpah, the courage, Lord God, to persevere when things look difficult, we pray that you will keep us from hopelessness, despair. And Lord God, we pray that you will cause us to be men and women and young people who are imbued with the power of your ruach, your spirit, to do the work you've laid out for us to do. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.